0: Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog, wonderful lads that do a great job there And worth reading about that man there, Karim Benzema, he's the rest and the numbers reveal why
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvin, and I'm joined once again by the ever-reliable Grant Little. We're here to talk about Real Madrid Feminino's win over Deportivo La Coruña or Deportivo Abanca, however you want to call them. Both work. And obviously, Real Madrid Feminino did not play on the weekend versus Levante due to at least one Levante player reporting positive for COVID-19. So things have been rescheduled around... Today, on a Wednesday, Real Madrid Feminino took on Depor and pretty comfortably won 3-0. Kosovo Aslani is scoring two goals. Sofia Jakobsen netting the opener. Grant, I know it's kind of like a weird time right now. Both you and I are American. There's the election results to deal with. But this was kind of like a nice break from that, right? A nice reprieve. A nice easy win, especially after the Real Madrid's men's team nearly botched it versus Inter. This was... You know, this has given us some good vibes for this week, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I needed something to distract me from just continuing to refresh while votes are coming in, so it came as a welcome distraction, and I was happy to dive into it because this was a a really fun game to watch from a Real Madrid point of view. Obviously, if you're a Depor fan, it was pretty horrifying, but I don't think we have a whole lot of Depor fans listening, so I think that we can have a pretty relaxed and excited podcast about this but we're still going to break it down and be critical where we need to be critical right and i think because
1: we don't have many depor fans listening to this podcast let's talk about depor for a second because what the hell is going on with them right if you didn't pay attention last season depor were good they were very good they finished fourth in the league 37 points, obviously, in that shortened campaign. They had two of the highest goal scorers in the league in Peque Berea and Gabi. And Ateneo del Castillo had a very healthy assist total with six and was a leading assister in the team. So they had a very well-functioning offense that took them into a top-four spot last season. And if you look at the table now, they are in 17th place, second last They haven't won a single game. In fact, they've lost all of them. I mean, they're they're just doing horribly right now. And if my math is correct, coming into the game versus Real Madrid Femenino, they had the third worst goal scoring record in the league. And now that, that simple fact right there may actually hint at what the problem is. Because Depor were actually a bad defensive side last season. Yes, they were fourth. But that came off the back of their offense. They had the second best attack in the league. Second best. Only Barcelona was better. But Depor conceded the fifth most goals in the league. So very Jekyll and Hyde side. Very, very top heavy. And it kind of looks like that so far this season, Depor's goals have just, in terms of the, one, the goals they've scored, have just completely dried up while they've continued to leak amazing amounts of goals at the back, right? So the two goal scorers I mentioned who have been really important for Depor, Peke, Badea, and Gabi. I think there's only one goal between them in the games they played so far. They were dropped surprisingly for the game versus Real Madrid. Femenino. I I, I didn't look at the squad list for Depor. So maybe there were some injury concerns or whatever, but regardless, they didn't play. It was only Ateneo del Castilla who was in the side, kind of like one of the main players you'd expect. And, yeah, it's, it's just been really horrible for them to start the season. Like, I guess maybe another factor is that obviously you have the defense, right? And if the offense isn't functional, then suddenly you just become an extremely poor team. But we probably poached, if not their best player, an extremely important player in Teresa Abeira, right? Who was a, was a consistent starting central midfielder for them last season. She is now with us. They did get a decent replacement, and I know Acampo, right? You can do worse. I know Acampo, remember, um, was a central midfielder for CD Tacón last season and eventually ended up moving into the center-back position and essentially just carried our ball progression in that department because it was so bad there last season that we needed a central midfielder to play there, and she was our best player to end the season. So they had a good replacement, but as we saw today, it's just not clicking for them, whether it's because Teresa was so important, they haven't found a way to kind of Build outside of her, or because the offense isn't functioning for whatever reason, that's it. They just aren't a good team anymore. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just not been great for them. And so it was good news for Real Madrid Feminino because we came into this thinking okay, we've only won one game so far in three. We really need to get going now, right? Like, we need to take advantage of matches like this against opponents who are in a rut and go on and grab the three points. And we ended up doing that. So that's the background on Depor the context behind why this was kind of like a comfortable game. Grant, how did you feel about Depor's performance today? And like, to you, how does that kind of illuminate why they've struggled so much this season?
0: Yeah, so I mean, just kind of from, obviously, I'm looking at it in a tactical kind of view, but also kind of as a fan's view, because I am a supporter of Real Madrid, I never really felt like they were going to score they had that opportunity in the sixth minute where Olga Carmona kind of gets beat for pace, but Misa comes off her line. And then in the 25th, I think she made a save on that uh, Torres chip shot. But other than that, they didn't really carve out any real opportunities. Iris was really fun to watch in the midfield for them. I thought she was really their only bright spot, but from what it seemed like to me, Depor just didn't have many ideas going forward we had this kind of odd press at the beginning and their center backs would feed it to the midfield. And then the midfield would kind of just try and go direct, but Ivana Andres and Babbitt Peter just didn't, they weren't troubled. They just headed it into the midfield. And then, you know, Teresa and Kasi were really, really good at just picking the ball off the feet of their midfielders. And like I said, there was just, they really possessed no threat going forward and allowed Real Madrid to really kind of go for it and get all their, their fullbacks forward. You had Cassian making runs into the offensive third. I Just from the outset, it looked like we were going to win. It just was a matter of when that first goal came. And once Jakobsen scored that absolutely amazing goal, like you could see it looked like Real Madrid had a real weight lifted off them and everyone on the pitch for Real Madrid started to play better. And it was just how many are we going to win by by then? Depor had an interesting approach
1: in that, as you mentioned, they really tried to build quite patiently from the back, right? Which was something they did last season. Teresa Abiera playing in this kind of like very deep left central midfield role, kind of controlling things from there. She was critical to that and she was well suited to it. And she basically like carried build up play for them last season. They tried to do a similar thing. From what I identified was like kind of like a 4 2, 3 one with a double pivot with Idis and Aino campo and Alba Marino kind of pushing much farther up, almost kind of like a number 10. And so I know, I Campo is the one generally dropping off to create this situational back three or this triangle at the back that they could build from. And you know, they were actually fairly good at it. We can discuss our press later, but they eventually ended up mostly kind of neutralizing our attempts. So we eventually kind of like stepped off the gas a bit and went into a mid block, but they get it to the halfway line. And once they did, there was an attempt at trying to play certain combinations, certain one touch passes back into the midfield. Right. But one, I felt because of the nature of the double pivot and you had one player dropping off and the, and the other one wasn't really kind of like adjusting and kind of moving up into advanced areas. Like Alba Marino was kind of outmatched numerically, playing in advanced areas, trying to connect midfield to attack, but also just the execution of the passes back into midfield were just bad, right? It looked like from the fullback positions especially, they lacked the individual quality to kind of play this style and progress after like safely moving the ball into wide areas, which is kind of the number one way you build from the back, which is a pretty big problem, right? If if you think about it. So they did that. It didn't really work. But then as you mentioned, Grant, many, many times, they'd get the ball securely to the halfway line. And then it was just route one into the flanks, just lofted balls into those areas. And it didn't really make that much sense to me, right? Like, why would you go to such great effort to control your phase of possession, get it into a certain area, and then just almost give up on it and just go long to where you aren't really prepared to win, first of all, the first duel, and then the second ball. And it just allows the opposition to counterattack against you time and time again. And if we hadn't had like a million offsides this game, it might have been five or six nil because Real Madrid just, we we didn't really have to do much in regular possession play because we could just live in transition the entire time because we knew at some point or the other, there was going to be some kind of bad turnover coming from Depor and we could just feast on it. And this was not like, again, Depor in a weird situation now where they're just suddenly one of the worst teams in the leagues based on result, but they were not a good defensive transition team last season either. I, in, in the games that we watched specifically against Granadilla in the 1920 season, I identified some sloppiness at the back. And it just looks like to me that a huge amount of weight and responsibility of this type of like gradual buildup scheme falls on like one of the central midfielders. And in this case, it's Ainoa Campo. And the last season is Teresa Abegera. And I thought I know Acampo did okay actually. Again, she she has experience carrying an entire build-up on her shoulders, but you know, it wasn't her greatest game ever. And I think it was just too much for her to do, right? She dribbled past the pressure, she played out wide, and then the ball is lost instantly. And, you know, there's it's it's just not that much you can do in that situation. And also I think she wasn't really taking up the positions that Teresa did last season, which was Teresa moving very deep into the half space, almost kind of taking the position a fullback would take in deeper possession play. So kind of moving the lesser players on the ball out of the way, getting your better player on there in that type of position and having them play from that type of position, almost kind of how Tony Kroos moves so deep into the left half space to conduct play from there. I know Acampo didn't really do that. She more kind of stayed in a traditional pivot spot and maybe that was kind of the issue, but then again, right. It's a double pivot, right? So with, I know, Acampo dropping off. So, like, it's it seemed like the delineation of roles there wasn't exactly super clear either. And so, yeah, it was just, on the whole, kind of a weird scheme that was poorly executed and that really just kind of put Real Madrid in a position to win the game just through, you know, basically playing through balls and balls into the channels to, like, extremely quick and talented players going into the channels. And like, I think that made it a fairly easy game for us.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, it could have been a lot worse had Aslani finished those one versus ones, which I think we have to talk about at some point, you know, she, she's her leading goal scorer and she's also, you know, scoring at a pretty high rate, but she could be scoring at such a higher rate, like that last chance where she eventually ended up putting it away, she gets through on this wonderful kind of shoulder faint turn and then shoots the ball right at the keeper. And she did that, did that pretty early in the match too. And obviously we're happy about her scoring goals, but you, you expect, and we're going to need in tighter games for her to put those away. You know, I, that was just something that I looked at and, am worried about going forward although hopefully she can figure that out as she gets more time but i don't i don't know how you felt about that but it's worrying how many point blank shots that she's shot right at the keeper
1: yeah it's not just this game it's been this season as well where she's kind of missed good chances there was some controversy over what i think essentially was a poorly translated comment out of context where aslani said something about my teammates need to finish the chances that i put in front of them or something like that i don't know if you remember that but it was like yeah, I saw people that. got mad about that but like it really wasn't quite clear like how like the double translation that was happening how that affected things and you know regardless the point being that people responded to that being like well you know people who believe that that was what she said word for word were like well you've missed so many chances this season right and that that being true that Aslani has been kind of wasteful in very good situations not just this season if we remember last season like there were again CD Con were not great i don't think we we maximized um, Aslani's skill set particularly well but we were, we had many kind of tight games against lower opposition sides that we would lose or we wouldn't win because at the end of games or whatever, we just weren't clinical enough, despite not playing that well overall. And Aslani was kind of part of that in not being super efficient in finishing these chances in front of goals. Now, again, I only watched about half of the games last season because, again, I simply couldn't watch the other half due to them being not broadcasted. So there is, you know, some sample size thing going on here. Like, you could reasonably say that this is just, it's just a poor stretch of finishing within the sample. It's not actually reflective of her ability to convert high quality chances and that she's actually a much better finisher than this. I don't know. And frankly, like given her role at Sweden, it's not really that of a finisher as much as it is her being a facilitator that also hasn't given me enough sample size to say. So like, yeah, I mean, it it could be that this, okay, it's just variance that it just happened. And it might not again, but like, I would, I wouldn't just dismiss it outright. Like, like you're saying, Grant, like, I don't know if I'd be worried. I would mark it as something to pay attention to, though, for the rest of the season to kind of see, like, does this, is is this really a pattern? And if it is, then we, I think we can come back to it and be like, well, you know, it's great when we're creating so many chances a game, right? Because she still ends up scoring two. But what happens when we come up against like Atletico Madrid, who are the second best defensive team in the league, and we only get like three chances? and Aslani has one of them. How, what, how does the calculus change there? So we'll see. Again, like I, I cannot definitively say whether this means she's like a subpar finisher or whatever, again, for the sample size reasons I gave, but it is true that not just this season, but also last season, she has been a bit wasteful with some of these, so we'll see how it is going forward.
0: Does, does that logic make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, and I'm not, I'm not, I've seen Aslani play quite a bit, and I've seen her finish some insane chances. I just, at the beginning of this season, it, it's looked a little shaky where she should be a little more composed, but hopefully it's mm. just, you know, the start of the season and we'll start to see a lot more of those find the back of the net the first time around. Like what's funny is
1: that the first goal she ended up scoring was just way harder than any of the other goals she scored. Yeah, like It course. was a really good <laughs> pass by Cardona. Right. But she, she, she essentially went into kind of like a full slide, to get contact with the ball and then she puts it straight into the bottom corner. And it's like, how'd you make that, but then miss the two one versus ones with obviously the second one being a rebound that she was able to
0: put away. It almost seems as though this season she's thrived more as an instinctual finisher where she doesn't have that time to think about it. Cause if you think back, she's got quite a few headed goals where you don't really have that much time to think. And then you have that great pass from Cardona where she just has to react instinctually. But then when she gets those one-on-ones and has more time to think, that's when she starts missing her her shooting boots. So I wonder if that's something that she just needs to work on being more calm and composed when she gets in those one-on-one opportunities. That's a very good point. And worth noting again that Aslani, in terms of
1: her play style, is a player that just thrives off of having to make instant reactions under pressure right and then making kind of like end product come from that because she's a player that thrives between the lines receiving on the half turn quickly assessing her options and then deciding whether she has to pass shoot or dribble so that makes sense to me that that is a good point and again something to keep an eye on not just how does she finish chances but again like one versus one chances and you know whether that's actually the thing she struggles with or it's just something that's happened so far and it's not really reflective of her overall quality. So where do we go now? So we've discussed quite a bit. I guess we can, since we were talking about Depor's, what they were doing on the ball, let's talk a little bit about Real Madrid's defensive game. It wasn't something that particularly defined the way the match went on, obviously, because It was our offensive transitions versus Boys defensive transitions that were, I think, most important to the chances created and the goals, but it was a feature of the match. So what did you think about our pressing or lack thereof and general defensive structure?
0: Yeah. So overall at the beginning, I wasn't super impressed with the press. I thought it was a bit disorganized and I didn't think we really needed it. It forced Depor into some giveaways and everything. But when we dropped into a more organized mid-block, I thought we looked pretty good, although Depor wasn't very good. You know, the entire team defends as a team. You don't have that situation where you see in some teams where you have a superstar who just doesn't defend. Pretty much everybody is shifting and in their position is defensively aware. And I saw in this game a lot of defensive cover, you know, like Peter Babbitt would kind of shift over and really cover for Olga Carmona when she was up the pitch in the midfield, we constantly had numbers. I thought the team overall was just very good at covering for each other and defending organized as a team. Once again, although Depor was, weren't really creating much, but Hey, we got that first clean sheet that we were hoping for after the last post is a good sign. We didn't have any of those lapses in defense or lapses in concentration right after scoring. We kept a clean sheet, and I think we looked pretty organized. Yeah, I think we're becoming a pretty decently organized mid-block
1: side. The pressing, as you mentioned, wasn't super impressed with it only really lasted as kind of like a consistent thing for 10 minutes. And it just, as far as I've watched pressing under David Aznar, like it doesn't just, it just doesn't seem to be that well-drilled. He seems a lot more comfortable asking Real Madrid to defend, you know, 10 yards in front of the halfway line or at the halfway line. And he gets kind of how to, instruct his players to shift over and cover for each other and how he needs one striker to kind of drop off and guard like the central midfielder but in terms of pressing like it's just never been great so far and it wasn't like a disaster to start the first 10 minutes again Depor didn't really have the threat to to make much of it but I think if you were to look at kind of like the granular sections of the press like especially the front of it you can see that we weren't really doing what you'd want a press to do which is to really shut off passing options hem a team into their own half and force a turnover or have them like play long right because they have no options and you regain possession deeper in your own half and what was happening was that because it was kind of a 4-2-3-1 initially It was okay. We were going player to player with the front four against the back four. And Teresa Abiera Arcasi would drop on Ainoa Campo, who also dropped, and it was player to player across like the front six, which is fine. Like it makes sense against a double pivot, I think, when especially when you have a double pivot midfield to kind of do that, and then you leave the defense to deal with the other two players. Though like technically, there's a bit of a risk that you know a a a number ten or pocket player like Alba Marino can drop off, get a vertical pass, turn, and attack the defense, but if you're well positioned enough, if you cover shadow well enough, like you can avoid that so and, and again, that option never materialized in fact, Alba Marino hardly got involved because they were barely able to find her, so we got some high dispossessions off of that, and then inexplicably which makes me wonder if either Teresa or Kasi stepping up was organic rather than planned, because I don't see why it would just stop otherwise. But like, I don't know, fifth, sixth minute, our central midfielders stopped pushing up. And again, there's no reason not to, because it's not like they have a direct kind of midfield numerical advantage because they're not playing with three in midfield they're playing with the double pivot and then someone who's positioned way higher up the pitch, but we stop, we stop doing it. And what happens is one of us Lani or Jessica drops off and guards the guards. I know a Campbell who's, who's dropping to create the situational back three, not ideal in my opinion, but that's, you could still make a workable press from that. So you, so maybe we could say, okay, we want numerical advantages in the defensive in, in midfield against the ball which, okay, fine, like, it's it's not how I would construct it, but it's not, like, theoretically, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is then, once we lost kind of the numerical equality against the back four or against the back five, because I know a Campo is dropping, we never made up for that with structural superiority. So how you'd normally deal with that, right, is if you have a two versus three, is you have the striker who's not guarding the central midfielder who's dropped. You have them make a curved run so that you block off the passing lane to the far side center back. That just never happened, right? It was just a straight line run from midfield to the center back. So what does the player on the ball do? They simply play it to the other side. And so you have, okay, then Aslani and Jessica do really well to kind of shift over. Aslani goes to the far side center back. Jessica goes to the central midfielder. Then you just switch it to the far side again. And you just do that and you're just running yourself into the ground for no reason whatsoever. And like around nine minutes, 30 or something like that, like that board just cleanly played through the press in the way that I described. And that's it. The press just dies, which if we're not going to press well, I think that was actually a good decision. Again, I don't know if Asnar made that decision or the team made it, whoever did, that was a good decision because, you know, we dropped into a mid block, what we were more comfortable in. And, really kind of suffocated whatever that Depor was trying to do. We won a lot of duels in midfield. I didn't particularly like Cassie on the ball today, but against the ball, I thought she was good. Teresa was also good against the ball. And we ended up winning two duels near like the halfway line that ended up resulting in goals anyway. So it wasn't a high press, but we still ended up winning the ball in advanced areas. And we ended up scoring directly from it. So. Yeah, overall, like I think it was a solid defensive performance. I just think for future kind of games where a high press might be useful, I think it'd be worth it to figure it out. And it's disappointing that we didn't really do that today because I thought given that Depor were so dogmatic about wanting to build from the back and not really being that good at it, if we pressed well, we could have dominated the game even even higher up the pitch. And won even more high turnovers and, like, basically prevented Depor from even getting into our half in the first place. And honestly, just to do it as a training exercise, like a real life training exercise to kind of get the reps in, you know, build the kind of like understanding and triggers that I think are more valuable than doing it on the training ground. And we didn't do it. It's more of a nitpick again because we ended up winning 3 0 fairly comfortably, but it is a thing that, like, we haven't been a great pressing side so far under Asnar. We attempted it. It wasn't very good, and we ended up dropping off into something we are more comfortable in. And like I think that's just something to note and hold on to going forward. That's that in terms of the pressing, which I think I talked way too much about, given that it only defined 10 minutes of the game, but I thought it was interesting. Let's get into well i guess because we're talking about defense why don't we discuss olga carmona at left back because it it has been we we all know by now that like we don't have an established left back right the experiment so far has been to put marta corredera there who's a natural right back she has played pretty well there the last game and also for spain she got some minutes there that grant watched and said she looked fairly okay there so that to, to me is like okay, she's the starting left back moving forward, but obviously, we want to back up to that. And I think what David Aznar was trying here is like, well, if I, I, I don't or can't play Cora there, there who, 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 who essentially plays in that position? And he tried out Olga Carmona, who actually has played as a wing back before, but as a wing back. And that obviously is different from playing as a fullback in a back four. Grant, how do you think she did there? Like, you can discuss both what she did on the ball and against the ball. Obviously, like, the con- the overall context being to, like, talk about it in relation to Rallinger's defense. But I think it just makes sense to talk about her performance as a whole. How do you think she did there? And do you think she's a viable option in the left-back position going forward?
0: Yeah, so... I think that she started out a little bit nervous. You know, she was beat for pace on that one where Misa had to come out. She looked a little shaky in 1v1s early. But as I said a bit earlier, once Jakobsen got that first goal, I think it gave like a little jump start of confidence to everyone. And from that point on, I thought she looked really good at left back, actually. You know, I talked about how bad Peter would come over and kind of help her when she got forward. It looked like they had a good understanding, but she looked really dynamic going forward. She had a really large range of passing that she could slice open a defense or break a press with. And as the game progressed and progressed, I thought she got better and better at 1v1s. Uh, Something that I kind of noted, and it only happened once, when she was pressured, she didn't look super comfortable passing back to Misa with her right foot but she was able to kind of dribble out and she was actually really physical and able to use her physicality to get by players. I thought that she, she was really good. And, you know, this obviously isn't a game that was going to test her a lot defensively. And we'll have to see how she does. If she's like pinned back by Atleti or Barca where she's mostly defending, but I thought she looked like a really viable option and gives Osnar, kind of, this, you know, what card is he going to play in which match? Because I think Corradera brings something different than what Olga brings. And that is nothing but a good problem to have going forward. So I do agree
1: that she ended up looking more comfortable throughout the game. But I think I'm more critical of her performance than I think most people, at least going by my timeline on Twitter. I thought she was really good offensively. I'll start with that. Her passes in transition from the left half space or into the left half space, or into the channel for Aslani to run onto, for Jakobsen to run onto, were sublime. Right as we mentioned, she ended up creating maybe the highest quality chance of the game when she played that pass into Aslani, and she got the one versus one, and she botched it. That was really impressive to me. Like. I know she's a quality offensive player. Obviously, her primary role is that of a left winger. She's a good dribbler. She has a good final ball. But to me, what sets an offensive fullback apart from the rest of their competitors is their ability to pass from that position and specifically make diagonal vertical passes, which via the statistics is the most difficult pass to make in the game. It's something that honestly sets Marcelo apart from, in my opinion, anyone who has ever played the left back position because he complete that completes those at a rate that is just insane, like double what anyone else does from playing at left back. You know, if you look at where the position is going in general with players like Trent Alexander-Arnold, I mean, you can even look at Kenty Robles. Like she, I think her most what do I want to say? Like, I guess kind of attractive quality, but I wanted to say like kind of the one that you kind of like first see when you watch her play is her dribbling ability, but she's also a fairly strong passer from the position. And so like, it was good to see that because it just adds an entirely different dynamic, right? You can in an, in an age where pressing is becoming more of a thing, or at least you have more defensive blocks that are trying to push you to wide areas and force the fullbacks to make decisions on the ball, having passing in those positions just becomes extremely valuable. It becomes more than a luxury. It's almost becoming a necessity. Like, look at Depor today, right? In my opinion, everything just kind of went to shit for them as soon as the ball went to the wide areas for the fullbacks and they had no ability to progress the ball. Like, if that exists, then it just becomes so difficult for you to become a good possession-based side. And it even enhances you in transition, right? Because you don't need to play the ball up and then have a pass kind of played from there, you know, into the last line. You can just give it to your fullback, as we saw so many times this game, Olga Carmona coming in transition, playing that ball immediately, catching already a weak side and defensive transition out, and someone like Aslani is away. So I was super impressed with that. Defensively, I was not as impressed I don't think she had like a disastrous game against the ball, but I just think it would be hard to against a side that provided very little offensive threat. I think the few times I saw her have to defend one versus one, I wasn't super impressed. She wasn't beaten every time, but I'm more looking at like her body positioning in those areas just wasn't great. Like a bit too upright, a bit too rigid and, and, which to me is kind of natural when you're playing a winger in a fullback position. And she was up against like a fairly good one versus one player in Athenaea on the right flank. And there was just one moment where, I mean, she didn't even do much. She just kind of shifted the ball to the left and just completely burned Olga, like literally turning her and she was away. And, you know, someone else came over and, and cut her off. So that was that. But again, I'm thinking about this in the context of the long term. Like, I don't know if I'm super comfortable about like her. Having to defend versus you know Barcelona or Atletico Madrid and being constantly tested like having like Caroline Graham Hansen go at her for example like even when Correa struggled to check her like is not exactly an ideal situation for me obviously no other team in La Liga has Caroline Graham Hansen but I, I do think that she could be a bit of a liability there in those positions and so I'm not super sure how hyped I am about her being a backup kind of option there. Like I guess it depends on how much you believe is the offensive capacity of other teams in the league and to like how high up you think the lack of capacity goes to where you just think you can get away with it. Maybe it's pretty high, I'm not exactly sure. Um but yeah, I mean, outside of games like this, I'm not super sure I'd do it. But if if he only plans to do it against like sides like that are like that or who haven't won four straight coming into this game then i guess it's fine and there is no doubting that she she really raises our offensive ceiling from that position cora there has shown good offensive stuff from there but i think what olga showed today i think is a level above what cora there provided and it makes sense because she's on her natural side whereas cora there is cutting inside every single time to make something happen so yeah i guess It's a question of trade-offs, though I would like to see Babette Peter get one game at left-back at least. She's played all across the back line her career. We've seen her there last season. I don't think she's that amazing on the ball, but I think she's more solid defensively. And honestly, to me, I might consider her the second option at left-back, but I don't know. Like I don't know if you want to respond to that, Grant, like anything you disagreed with or wanted to build upon, but those are just kind of my feelings at the moment, again, like small sample sizes, maybe Carmona has like a much better defensive game or something from my point of view, that convinces me um, in, in matches in the future. But like at the moment, that's just kind of where I am.
0: Right. And I agree that like, she's not going to bust in and be obviously just replacing Cordera in those big matches. But I do think that, you know, she showed a bit defensively and, and as she gets more reps there, she will improve, I think. And I think it's important to get her those reps against teams that are struggling like Depor or against teams that we think that we can kind of just have the majority of the ball so that we start to mold that backup left back because I am a little worried about having Babbitt at left back with her pace. I don't know if she is going to be able to keep up with a lot of the wingers in this league that could really, when we need a super solid defensive left back. And also I think that you lose quite a bit going forward, obviously, if you have her there as well, if she's in that place instead of Corradera and Olga Carmona, I think today Olga was really good and did what she had to do. Obviously we said she wasn't very tested in defense, but I liked what I saw, and I thought, I thought she was a, kind of a standout for me in that position, you know, not as saying, like, this is our new starting left back, but I thought she did a good job there in his, you know, when you have those rotations, you know, we talked about in that 17, 16, 17 season with Real Madrid when the B team came in and had to get results. Like, I think that Olga Carmona could be that B team left back and really provide a lot offensively.
1: I think those are fair points. I think a case can be made either way. I do think the point about, Bob Peter's pace is important. It's not something I had considered um, when just kind of like talking through who I prefer. So like, yeah, it, it, it's just simply a fact that we don't have an ideal candidate left back. Like even Corridero, who's going to be the starter in that position, like, I mean, if we were to build our ideal team, right, of any player in Primera Iberdrola, like, she wouldn't be there, if we're being honest. Like, she would probably be my backup at right back. And its it just is a bit odd to me that we had nine signings. We clearly weren't holding back in the transfer market. We were being extremely ruthless, picking off the best talent in the league, taking Kendi Robles from Atletico Madrid. Obviously, Teresa Aveira from Depor, like that we didn't go out and get an out and out left back. That just to me is a bit strange and it puts limitations in some way or the other on us going forward. Like with Marta Cordera, she's not going to overlap in the way that you'd often expect an offensive fullback to do. Um, obviously she's going to be like just her against pressing is going to be a bit weirder because she's going to constantly be turning inside which could make her a bit more susceptible to having the ball picked off and stuff like that. But again, overall, she is the most solid option, um, especially defensively, I think. And she, I guess when she cuts inside, like in the opposition half, like it adds a different dimension to the possession game. So there's some give and take there. But Then with Olga, you have like the ideal offensive kind of profile in the left back position, which but I think also some trade-offs defensively. And then Bobek Peter may be better defensively, but really is not going to offer much on the other end. So there's trade-offs with each player that you could have at left-back. Whereas, for example, if we look at Kendi Robles at right-back, I don't really see any trade-offs there whatsoever. Great dribbler, great overlapping. She can underlap as well. She's a solid passer from the position, as I mentioned, and she's also a good defender. And I think being Real Madrid, that's the kind of player we should aspire to in each position. And so like next season, I don't want to see this, this kind of like conundrum, like happening again, as much as I am happy with like Cora performances there so far. And, you know, our willingness to kind of try players in this position, I think it's something that really can't
0: last past um, this season, really. Yeah, I completely agree. We need a natural left back that is left footed. That is like, the first thing on you know the transfer wish list for next year we can't kind of have this makeshift especially if we have injuries we need we need that number one you know if Corradera is your backup left back and she's right footed that's one thing but we need we need an out and out left back to be our starting left back right and also if cordera is starting alongside kenji robles
1: we don't have a backup right back Right, so is Kenty Robles gonna play every single game throughout the entire season, like Casemiro or Benzema, and then get gassed? And what happens then, right? So, like, you know, maybe we might see Corradera and Carmona playing at the same time, but then also like Cordero is like playing every single game, so we'll see. Like, it's it's it, it doesn't have effects just on the left back position, but also the right back, so it's it's not something that can be avoided now, obviously, right? Like, this is the squad we have. I think Asnar is doing the right things, making the right choices as to how to move forward from this position, but for as good as a transfer window that we had, and I think it was a really good one, I think this was a big miss here, and it's something that we need to solve as soon as possible. Let's talk about more player performances, because I think that will kind of naturally lead us into the other things.
0: Yeah. Can we talk about Teresa? Yep, go ahead. Yeah, I thought she was quietly one of the best players of the match today. On both sides of the ball, I thought she was really good winning the ball. She really knows how to get players into space and make those passes that break lines and take players out of the defense. And you could kind of see it. She didn't complete all of them today. But you could tell that she sees passes other people don't see, and she has the quality to make those passes, which is super super exciting. And like every time she reared back to hit one of those, I was like, "Oh my gosh, is it going to be one of those?" You know, I can't remember who it was against last year, but Odegaard made that pass that just basically cut across the entire defense, and um, they they just tapped it in. She's that kind of player that can really unlock a defense but i thought she was really good at kind of dictating the pace both offensively and defensively and like i said i thought she was a real standout today yeah i think she had a good kind of classic solid
1: central midfield performance in the sense that like not directly involved in any of the goals but does all the other things correctly right with the potential to create goals if certain things go different ways she's a great tempo controller it was something that really impressed me when i watched her at depor she's fantastic under pressure ball progression all the things you want in a central midfielder offensively again like grant mentioned she also has like a final pass in her from deeper areas like she's a really good player and i wanted to see her start earlier to be honest like i she, I, I think she had a game previously, but like since then, right, Maite Arroz has been playing ahead of her, which, you know, to be fair, Maitia Arroz has been incredible. Last game, Maitia Arroz was player of the match. We're not quite sure why she wasn't in the squad for this game because Real Madrid don't really communicate to us why they do these things, but I have to assume it's due to injury. I don't think there's really a technical reason for why she'd be out given that you could argue that she's our best central midfielder, but what, for whatever reason, it gave Teresa Abiera a chance to start. Uh, it seems that Asnar wants Kasi paired with a more creative central midfielder, probably for like steel and grit in midfield, which I kind of understand, though we can get to how necessary that is. Because I thought Teresa was just about as good against the ball as Kasi was. So like, but yeah, I mean, Teresa got her chance. I think she basically prove to Osnar that, hey, you can start me at any time and there's going to be very little drop-off, right? Like I am a starting eleven caliber player and I understand you have to make tough decisions, but hey, I'm here. This is my quality. Start me. And, you know, I as a manager, I think that's all you want from your players. Make me make tough decisions. Make it like a pain in the ass for me to decide, do I start my Arroz or do I start Teresa Vieira? And I thought the latter did everything she could to, to make it, make those decisions as tough as possible in the future. And yeah, as you mentioned, I was very pleased with her performance. Since I mentioned Kassi, why don't we just kind of discuss her? Um, it was interesting to me when Taisa came on, that she came on for Teresa and not Kassi. One, because I think those two are more similar players. Right. But also, I just thought Kasi didn't have as good of a game. Like, against the ball, she was her usual combative self. She ended up, I think, winning the duel in midfield that ended up leading to the third goal. So, you know, she was good on that end. But passing wise, I-, I wasn't that impressed as I ha- just basically as a trend this season. Last season, relative to all the other players in midfield, we have she was good on the ball. But I think now that you see her next to like, potentially world-class players in that area, like Maite Rose and Teresa Abiera, you can see she's a bit of a step below. But even then, I just thought she just wasn't as clean, as tidy in possession as I'd expect her to be. And so given that it seems to me that Maite Rose and Teresa Abiera seem to be pretty good defensively, I wonder why, like, or maybe it'll happen. But I think there's a case to be made that we should at least once get to see what uh, Mateo's Teresa Abiera double pivot looks like. And I'm not
0: so sure. The exact thing when I was watching this match
1: again against Barcelona, I'd probably still play like Casi, for example. But I think, given that I just I don't see like Mateo's and Teresa Abiera as liabilities on the against the ball like I guess is what I'm saying like I don't think they're just that's their game I don't think they're out and out destroyers I think Kassi is a little bit better in that area I think she's physically a bit more imposing than those two but against most teams I I think it's not super necessary to have Kasi next to them and I think you can play two of our best ball players in midfield and just dominate teams even more than we already do with essentially one player kind of like carrying ball progression and build up so yeah. I mean, that was just my thought coming from this. Like, you know, I guess it f- feels a bit ruthless to say that about Cassie. She didn't have a bad game by any means. It's just that I'm thinking relative to the, to the standards of some of her teammates. Like, I, I think we can go without her sometimes in a double pivot and I think we'll be fine. Like, it. I guess what I'm saying is in our best 11, I don't know if Cassie is there against every single team bar, like sides that will have so much of the ball that it's just like, well, I want more of a physical presence in in midfield.
0: Yeah, and I mean that is a great problem to have that we have these three midfielders who you know could start in potentially any combination. We'll see how Tysa comes back and fits into that as well. But it's good to have that depth because it is a long season, and we didn't really have that proper preseason. And it kind of gives you some interchangeability and tactical flexibility that you could play any combination of these midfielders going forward. And, you know, the opposition kind of has to prepare for that. Yeah.
1: And we have the one time we did see Maite Rose and Teresa Vieira play together was the 4-3-3, where interestingly enough, it was Maite Rosa and Teresa Abiera dropping off in the defensive midfield, right, in the single pivot with Casi kind of pushing up, which kind of signifies to me that Asnar understands, like, Kasi isn't bad on the ball, but she's not the player you want conducting your midfield from the center backs up the pitch. Simply because of the fact that like when we have played in a midfield three, she has not been a single pivot, which you'd think is odd on the face of it, right? You want your best defensive player to be in that position, but it's not been her because like we have players that are a different level on the ball. It makes more sense there. And like this is a more extreme case, obviously, but it's what happens with the men's team when Casemiro is not the player dictating from the single pivot, it's actually Tony Kroos who is doing it. And so, yeah, it, it, it's sort of that dynamic here though. I do think relative to their situations, Cassie is a lot better on the ball than Casemiro is. I wouldn't exactly call Kassi a liability, but I do think she's weak enough and her teammates are strong enough against the ball that it's worth asking the question, like, can we do a double pit with Tres Habiga and Mike Eros and see how good that looks? Because I, I think it's it has the potential to be quite spectacular. So that's just, I guess, kind of the thoughts on that. In terms of other individual performances, I guess there's a lot more to talk about. But well, let's go to Sofia Jakobsen because she had that great goal. She had some nice moments, but she was also offside like 15 times in this game. So I do you feel you about that? A ridiculous
0: amount. It was insane. And it was weird because it was in positions where she was basically just standing, too. It wasn't like she was called off making a ton of, you know, attacking runs. It just seemed that her positioning was a little off, which was strange. But if we take it from the start, I kind of thought it took her a while, similar to the Sweden game where she ended up scoring the winner, to get into this match. But then she gets that absolutely incredible goal, like a sweet piece of footwork and then a class finish. And from that point on in the first half, she looked like an absolute world beater. Like no one was going to stop her. She almost had an assist like 13 seconds after that. And then the second half started and, you know, she kind of fell off again. She kind of faded in and out of the match for me, other than after she scored where she looked like amazing I don't know if that's how you felt, but it was interesting to kind of see that. No,
1: that is how I felt. And I think Sophie Jakobsen can be a player who kind of drifts in and out of games sometimes because she is someone that's like, that makes an impact going at defenders. And that's who she is. And that is a high variance kind of approach is your take-ons are not always going to come off. And even what they do, you have to, if you think about it, you have to control the ball so perfectly that you're you're in a good body position that you can deliver after beating your marker, either a good shot on target or a good pass after that, that like really the level of skill it takes to be a consistently dangerous player, mainly through dribbling, is really, really quite high. Like if we look at so many like I guess players who just their main aspect of the game is dribbling consider how inconsistent a lot of their games are. Like Hud Ben Arfa, for example, right? Like those types of players, like now Jakobsen, I wouldn't say is an inconsistent player in that mode. Like, I think it speaks to her quality, that this is her primary approach. And she, especially last season was just a game in game out, game changing presence for the side. I, though, I do think that like, even having said that, right, I think it explains why, like, for example, like in some other games early in the season, in the earliest Sweden game we saw being played and this game, like, she can drift in and out because if the take-ons aren't always coming off or she's not getting into those positions where she's attempting them in the first place, you know, it can look like she becomes a bit of a passenger. So I think that kind of explains part of that dynamic. I will say that I thought... In the second half, she was a little inefficient in those, in those types of situations, especially running off the last line. So, like, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a mixed performance and, like, from a consistency sense, minute to minute. But overall, she had a very good game when you consider the impact that she made, right? Like, that goal broke the game open. It made us comfortable. And it basically, I think, at that point, it was pretty clear that Real Madrid were going on to win fairly comfortably. And then as you mentioned, Grant, she almost got an assist and she created a really high quality chance. So like overall, yeah, I'm pleased with her performance though. I think we're still yet to see the Sophie Jacobson of last season in terms of just being an absolute monster who dribbles like seven players a game and makes things happen. And, you know, maybe she doesn't need to be that player this season because we have a much greater distribution of talent. But I do think she She hasn't hit her ceiling yet, I think she's been good, but she can be very good, which is just honestly a positive thing. It sounds like criticism, but to me it's a positive thing because it means that she can go higher and she can take this team higher because I have very high standards for her. I'm sure she does for herself, and she can once again be the best player on this team, and you know she hasn't quite reached that level yet, but i th- I think she's getting there like to me, every game she seems to be finding more of herself and basically running into, I think, the middle part of the season. I think she could be firing on all cylinders, and she could be, again, our most dangerous player.
0: Yeah, my hope is that both – we see that kind of transition from both her and Aslani once this final international break is over and they can stay in Madrid and focus on this team. You know, they had – it's such an emotional roller coaster trying to qualify for those international tournaments, especially when Sweden is really – you know, these are their best two players. And once, now that they're qualified, they have, I think, one or two more games at the end of November, early December. Once they have that time to just focus solely on Real Madrid, I expect to hopefully see, you know, Jakobsen back at her best in Aslani hopefully finishing better and getting more involved in midfield.
1: Yeah, and they really don't have
0: days off with
1: the Swedish national team. Like, not only because they're so important, because their manager literally does not sub them off when Sweden are comfortably winning and like there's no chance that the team is going to lose the game. So like they have to be locked in. you know. Not that other players going to their national teams don't have to be locked in and they don't take it seriously, but there's a level of responsibility on those two players to deliver for their national side that I think is equivalent to or even greater than what they have at Real Madrid. So it really is just... I have to be 110% all the time and like, yeah, I mean that they haven't, like if you consider the the, the players going to the Spanish national team, none of them are starters. I mean, Marta Cotadera got a start. Cardona did as well, but in like the best Spain starting 11, I think you could argue that neither of them are in there and that's mainly because it's dominated by Barcelona players. And so like, yeah, I mean, they're locked in, obviously they're fighting hard for a spot, but the level of responsibility is not the same. Marta Cardona is or has been so far a starting winger for real madrid one of the leaders of our offense she's just not that for spain so yeah i think that's a good point to take into account and hopefully once that's kind of in their rearview mirror again they've already qualified for the euros now so we're getting there but once that happens like them being able to put all their focus on real madrid get consistent training sessions with the team in no breaks like I I have pretty good hopes that like they kick into that other gear that we've seen them attain with Sweden, which is very, very exciting. Because again, like Jakobsen and Aslani have been pretty good so far. It's not like they've been bad, but they
0: both can definitely take it up to another level. Yeah. Do you want to talk about um, Cardona and Jessica, the other front two? Yeah, go ahead. I felt bad for Jessica in this game. I felt like she was always fighting to get the ball back, always fighting for positioning. But she really didn't get much service other than that great ball. I believe it was from Jakobsen in the 18th minute where Jessica probably should have put that on target and would, would have probably had a goal. But other than that, she was just kind of anonymous throughout the match, in my opinion. And I don't think it was really to her own fault. She just wasn't really getting the service that she needs to be that predator in the box. Jessica is very much a
1: player who makes her impact off ball. She's a player that gets into good goal scoring positions time and time again. And that's where her goal difference value comes from. She's not this amazing link up player like Aslani is. She's not an amazing dribbler. She's not even like this target player, right? Because she's pretty short actually. And so she's not going to bring others into play that way, but she is quite simply incredible at getting into good shot locations time and time again. And even though she's short and she's not a target player, she's ridiculously good at winning aerial duels inside the box, mainly because not because she's overpowering or out jumping players, but she gets into good positions, She creates separations and then gets in the air to finish. And I think it was, I think it was a more difficult chance maybe then people think that Jacobson cross coming in though. I think maybe, yeah, she given her standard of heading skill, I think she might've should have put that on target, but I think that just kind of shows you what her game is. And I was just honestly looking at the replay. I was like a bit astonished that she even got there in the first place and she was able to like get her head onto that, but like, that's just what she's good at. And so given that's her profile, if you don't give her the service as you were mentioning, Grant, you're not going to see her in a game unless you're specifically looking for off-ball movements. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really blame her. I think even when she's not getting on the ball, she's valuable in that she stretches defenses, creates space for Aslani, right? Like again, Aslani needs to play with someone who occupies the the center backs, stretches them, keeps them in check, so she can receive and places between the lines, so that didn't really happen, and we can talk about that. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's just how it goes some days. When you're a striker like Jessica, like you're just going to have games where you don't get the ball in the box very often, and so it looks like you didn't do much, even though you're making good movements and good runs. And it's interesting because Real Madrid dominated offensively, right? We created what I assume is a very high XG performance because we had bare minimum, like, two one-versus-ones for Aslani. And we had a number of good other shots, but most of those were coming in transition and they were coming in ways that the player receiving the ball running at the last line was in a position to take a shot rather than play across. So yeah, I mean, in transition, it was interesting that Jessica didn't really get that many opportunities. I think that was just a circumstance. It's just how the play unfolded, but we didn't do that much in regular possession play. Again, we didn't really need to, but again, it's it's this thing where like our possession structure is adequate under David Aznar, but unspectacular. With Teresa on the side, like we're cleanly moving the ball from side to side, getting into wide areas so Cardona can go out players, um, Jakobsen can go out players, put deliveries into the box. But it's not really more dynamic than that. And when the deliveries aren't coming in at great frequency or they're not that accurate as we are today, someone like Jessica can kind of like fall out in terms of like influence and like look invisible to the untrained eye. That kind of would lead me into a point about Aslani, but let's hold that for now because you wanted to talk
0: about Cardona, so go ahead. She kind of gives me some Vinicius vibes. She she looks so electric at times, and like, you know, in that second half, she had that sweet move in the box to open up, and then she fires the shot high and wide. She also had that great assist to Aslani for Aslani's first, but the second goal, and then she also had another incredible pass to Aslani in the second half, where it was kind of that lofted ball, and Aslani tried to chest it forward, but it went right to the keeper. I think, you know, she's 25, so she's still a bit young. I think she's kind of she's getting like she's working on polishing her game and it excites me to see when that game is polished and when that finishing ability is polished off because I think she's a really electrifying player who can make things happen one versus one or even when there's no space at all she can dribble out from being like double team triple team but she also has kind of that Side where she can drift out of games, disappear, much like what we were talking about with Jakobsen when you rely on some of that one-versus-one skill. But I, I thought she's exciting. She shows flashes of real inspiration, and we just need to you know, continue to get her minutes because I think she's really one for the future of this team. Yeah, I, I think Cardona has been our best dribbler this
1: season. One versus one and against multiple players. Well, actually, I'd say Kenty Robles.
0: I was yeah, I was gonna see about that.
1: <laughs> Kenty Robles against multiple players, I think, has been our best. But in terms of like the amount of options she has, one versus one to create separation, I think she might be her might might be our best. Usually Kenty is kind of starting in positions where she receives against, you know, in in favorable momentum against the first defender and then just continues her run past several like so we haven't exactly seen her in that many like stationary or like kind of measured one versus one situations obviously because she's a fullback and she's usually arriving from deeper positions and she just manipulates that advantage beautifully but you know so I'd say multiple players can't do Robles one versus one Cardona I don't know if you think that's fair Grant but that's how I'll split it for now um but the point point being I think Cardona has been really good for us dribbling wise this season and she just she's just special in that area she does everything you want she has skills she has tricks she has those little feints and she has like an incredible burst of acceleration plus she's she's tidy with her ball control and she's just overall a good technical player as we saw on the pass that she slid in for Aslani was a little ahead of Aslani but given The lack of time she had to make that pass, the fact that it basically had to be first time and delivered as a through ball. I think it was pretty much as good as it could have been. So that was really an excellent assist. And yeah, I'm, I was quite happy with her performance so far. She's been one of my favorite players to watch. And I think she should be our starting winger, whether on the left or right for this season. Now, I do like her more on the left. She was fine on the right today. We, we saw last game where Jakobsen and her switched flanks at halftime, and they still look both as good. But I do believe that Cardona is better on the left and Jakobsen is better on the right, even if it's just a little bit, that most of the time that's where I'd play them. I don't know if, like, Osnar is just continuing to kind of fiddle with it to kind of get greater sample size, but Cardona, when she's on the left, when she kind of has, she feels herself and she just is able to kind of dip inside past defenders. It's kind of that thing with Rodrigo where you see with him play on the left and he just cuts inside once. And suddenly you can tell like both of it with both of them, it's just like something lights up in their head and they just start doing it every single time. They start going past players and creating chaos and Jakobsen can do that, but she's also more of a traditional winger who stretches the width of the pitch, likes to isolate one versus one and put in the cross Whereas Cardona is like to cut inside a bit more and kind of influence from those sorts of positions. So like, I mean, just a small thing. It didn't really, wasn't really, I guess, kind of a negative thing to play her on the right in this game. She was, she was good. She had an assist. Obviously Yakuza did end up cutting inside, inside the box to score the goal. So like it was more on the margins, what I'm talking about, how do we make marginal improvements? And if we're thinking about that, I would play Cardona on the left and Yakuza on the right, but.
0: I don't I know agree. if Asner has made a decision with that. It seems that he's experimenting quite a bit with it. Yeah, when I saw Jakobsen kind of start on the left, I was a bit surprised, and I was wondering if we would see them swap flanks, but we really didn't in this game. So it may have been just you know, like you said, that that tinkering still with what is the best lineup. Which I mean, I'm fine with the result was good. They both played well, so we move, <laughs> we move.
1: We move on to talking about Kosovari Aslani for just a little bit. We, we already discussed her finishing. I just think, and this is more just being me being repetitive, but we still haven't really seen her get involved between the lines. Like, it just hasn't happened so far this season. Again, maybe it's just more game dynamic at play here because it was very transition-oriented. The environment was defined by counterattacks. Aslani, therefore, was running into the channels quite a bit, as she should given the space that you could get behind the back line. Like normally you'd want Aslani to receive turn and play the pass there, but because they were so disorganized, it's like, why not just have everyone run beyond the last line and just play through balls or lock balls over the top, which was a bit disorganized, right? Like we got some offsides there, but it ended up creating some, again, one really good one versus one chance for Aslani. but in regular possession play again, it's a bit inefficient wasn't really, I think, a sense of Aslani kind of dropping off, asking for those vertical passes and trying to make things from happening there. Like, I'm not really sure if I saw it happen once, maybe I didn't pay attention close enough, but it's just to me that, okay, if we're in a situation where we're not against maybe the worst team in defensive transition in the league, how do we create from other situations? And the answer seems to be Cardona, Jakobsen dribble at players, put stuff into the box and Aslani to her credit, has gotten headers in those positions. But again, that's not what defines her game. And so outside of that, how do we get her involved and do it? Because I think it gives us greater dynamism and greater variety in offense, right? Like what happens if, again, we talked about the variance of one versus one players. What if Cardona and Jakobsen, have one of those games where they just can't beat their player. What happens then? And to me, I'm not sure we have offensive answers. And I think something really needs to be done to how do we work a game through the middle as well as out wide and create combinations, create patterns of play that opens up lanes for Aslani to receive and have her influence as a creator, as a link-up player. Because so far, she really looks more like just a finisher, a classic number nine alongside Jessica Martinez, which has been okay so far. Again, with this game, it might've just been how, how things played out. It just might've been the dynamic, but it is something that I want to see at some point because I think it's important. And if the goals dry up for whatever reason for Aslani, I think it's going to look like last season where she's not involved at all. And we're like wondering where she is, which I don't think is good. And I, I don't think is like kind of inevitable either, right? If Aslani's not scoring, she can still be the best player on the pitch. And so far I'm yet to see us kind of create a structure where she can receive in the positions where she does the most damage.
0: I completely agree. I, I just like you said, I think she may be dropped back once, if that. And I think that kind of also affects how, how many times... Jessica Martinez gets the ball as well because you know Aslani gets the ball plays it out wide the cross comes in or Aslani gets the ball and plays it through to Jessica Martinez when you don't have Aslani dropping in I think that we get that lack of service to Jessica and we get her less involved and and we, we've we harped on this like listeners have to be so sick of it but we're going to keep doing it until Asnar changes <laughs> what he's doing we need Aslani to drop in in her best position and get involved and um we still have not seen it at all yeah but i am pleased that unlike last season she is scoring a
1: lot more despite this not happening which i do think is down to the fact that she's just playing next to better teammates better chance creators though again there's the question how efficient is she in these situations and if it turns out she's not that efficient then i think the question gets raised even more that like well then should she really be playing as more of a pure striker then right if It doesn't seem like she's ultra, ultra efficient in converting these types of situations, which is kind of what you want in that type of forward. where I think someone like Jessica Martinez definitely is, especially off of any kind of cross. Just real quick, again, talking about small sample sizes, with Misa coming off her line, I've largely liked it. I've largely thought that it's a good thing. It's definitely saved us in certain moments But when she did it today, I thought she almost got caught out. And I can't remember if she cleared it or Ivana Andres came over and cleared it before she got to the ball. But to me, it looked like she made a risky decision there. And I'm just telling you, at some point in the season, we're going to concede because of that. Not because I think it's a bad strategy, but I think she's just a tad reckless with it. And I think she's going to get caught out at least once.
0: I agree with you. I think, though, I think that she did make a good read at first because I think Olga was beat, and I don't, and I think I can't remember who it was. It was number seven threw on goal, and I think she would have had a one on one, which you know, number Misa, seven. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Misa maybe saves it, but I think what messed up, I think she got it on her right foot, and she kind of scuffed the clearance. That's what made it look kind of rough. And I 100% agree that she's going to get caught out one of these times, but it's just something you live with when you have this kind of keeper who's young. I mean, how many times when Neuer was young, did we see him get chipped from like midfield, but then he made absolutely insane saves. I think it's something you live and die by and it's going to happen. And we're all going to probably be furious when it happens, but the (laughs) amount of times that she's saved us because of it, it's going to be worth it but in this match it looked a little sketchy
1: yeah I mean I overall I think it's a net positive overall Misa has been one of my favorite players this season I'm never going to forget her performance versus Barcelona She's, she's been good this season it's just like it was just a little thing I wanted to mention because like it's been in the back of my mind but in this case it was kind of the one where it scared me the most and I was like oof like that to me was a very 50-50 should i go should i not in terms of like whether it was worth it or not and i think she's going to do it when it's more like 10-90 90 in favor of like not going for it in terms of like the mental calculus there but you know it it is what it is as grant said it's something you live with and i think even just isolating it to those actions i think it's going to be more positive than negative throughout the season grant Do you have anything else you want to talk about any other player performances, any other kind of team dynamics, things, anything you think that is kind of like relevant for the games ahead or whatever, or have you talked about everything you want to talk about?
0: I'll just say one more thing about Lorena and Chioma. I thought they came on and in their limited time, they had an impact. You know, Lorena had that little through ball to Jakobsen who almost created a goal out of that. And then Chioma had the pass to Aslani where she ended up scoring the third goal. I thought that was a bright sign. I wished that Chioma would have came on a little bit earlier to get her some more minutes, but it's good to see instant impact off the bench. That's something that we're going to need going forward. And I don't think there was a lot to say about it because they didn't have much time, but it was a little flash of good. Yeah, what I'll
1: say is that Chioma's role has been minimized quite a bit with the arrival of Marta Cardona and I thought Olga Carmona, but it seems like Olga Carmona will be competing at the left back position, or maybe this is a one-off, whatever, but her role has been minimized. And I think that's a shame. I don't know if it's like a crime or anything, because I do think Marta Cardona is the better player, but Chioma is very, very good. And having her as a substitute is quite frankly a luxury and she she showed her super sub credentials last season. Like she came on and saved us in some moments or gave us hope in games where we felt like I we're 2-0 down. Nothing's gonna happen here. Um so like I I'm happy she's on our team. And despite the fact that she might not be as relevant as she might want to as she was last season, I think she's gonna have some moments on the bench like she did today that are going to be really valuable for us going forward. And it feels like she's kind of like been forgotten almost because she's not starting really anymore, but I think she will be an important player for us, whether it's from super sub moments or an injury happens, or she gets a run of, of of game time out on the flank. Like she is a very good player and I, I don't think we should forget that. So that's just what I wanted to say about her. Other than that, I don't have more to say. I think we've talked about pretty much everything we could have for this game. We covered it pretty comprehensively going over an hour at this point, I think. So, Grant, nothing more to say, I'm guessing? No, I'm all good. So, yeah, we will be with you guys for the next Real Madrid Feminino game, which is on Sunday against Abar. Unfortunately, at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, but it is is that official
0: already? They sometimes they announce it so late. Maybe it's just a placeholder, but I'm seeing. I hope it's a placeholder. I'm
1: I'm seeing it on. (laughs) That's what Google is telling me. Google is telling me at 6 a.m. and it's also on November 8th, right? So it's only four days away. So it's not like it's the week before where it's a placeholder. Like I'm hoping it is, but. You know, even if it is, they're gonna like what? As at, they're gonna only push it as late as like eight a.m., right? But as well, you said, there's there is a big difference there. But still, I would prefer, you know, at least twelve p.m. or something. But that's just never gonna happen. Today was a ten a.m. game, which is about as late as it gets, uh, for Primera Evodola games or Maldiva Feminino games. So yeah, Sunday, wake up bright and early. We will be up because we'll do a podcast right after that game and get it out as soon as possible. Unless, like, I can't remember when the Rounders men's team is, so it might be combined. I think it's that. on Saturday.
0: Uh, no, it's at
1: 3. I think it's at 3. On Saturday? On on Sunday. Uh, yeah, okay, so then it's probably going to be combined. So we probably won't get it out right after, but it will be there in the evening for you guys. So that's what's ahead. But for now, this is all we have for you in terms of covering our game, our excellent win versus Deportivo La Coruña. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you found all of our analysis valuable. I do think that maybe it seemed like we were overly critical for what was a good performance, but again, we're just trying to dissect and cover every single angle that we can about the game, and especially in terms of the context of the long-term and not necessarily in the sense that like, yes, this is about covering the game, but it is also about just talking about the team as a whole and certain dynamics that we think need to improve. And we always think things can improve. So it's not that we're not happy. It's just that we're trying to cover every single angle that we can and bring up any little question that exists because the point of managing Madrid to set ourselves apart from other websites and in relation to Real Madrid Femiño is to be really analytical really be, I think, quite inquisitive, quite critical in terms of how we think about things and leave no stone unturned. So I hope we did that for you on this podcast. I hope that, as I said, you found it useful. And that's all we have for today. And we'll see you guys on Sunday. Thank you all for listening
0: and ala Madrid. Ala Madrid.